Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 709 of the milk bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show this week, Roger Black and Booper let us know about some of the healthcare options we have out there. We'll be hearing from Huggle Pets about their work in the community and a brand new community pond. Leslie Scase and John Hartless let us know about their parts of the Wolverhampton Literature Festivals. We hear what's going on on the 3rd, 4th and 5th of February. And we'll have music for you from Midnight Ashes. On top of that, we'll also be talking to Brownhills Musical Theatre as they are having their production of Chorus Line on the way soon. That's all coming up on the show this week. On Friday the 17th and Saturday the 18th of February 2023, the action takes place in a chorus line. It's all happening at the Prince of Wales Theatre, Canic and Brownhills Musical Theatre are bringing it to the stage. I'm joined now by two of their number, Kel and Rich. Hello to you both. Hi, good evening, Jason. How are we doing? You all good? Yeah, we're all right, thank you. Yes, busy, busy. Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. With a massive show to bring to the stage, tell us more about Chorus Line. Well, you're right, it is a big show to do and it's not one that's... Uh very often tackled particularly by uh, amateur companies um because it's a big ask for the the company members uh but you know we thought if anyone can do it brown hills can yeah. so let's give it a go you're a talented bunch it's going to work so that's all good uh, so uh, tell us about your two roles we'll let uh, kelly go first okay well we, we we're one of the same really we <laughs> are co-directors um, so I do all the organising, which so basically I do all the bossing around and the shouting. Yeah, so you're head of shouting, okay, and Rich, yeah. you got to try and appease everybody afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and you do all the artistic stuff, like making people look good on the stage from a, a directing, acting point of view, and also trying to yeah okay so when it comes to selecting your cast for this i know you've got a brilliant bunch but these are as we've said demanding roles here uh so uh, tell us how the lineup works well you're absolutely right i mean most musicals you require to, to be able to be good in all three you know you're acting you're singing and you're dancing but this one in particular requires strength in all three um all three That's sections right. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, casting was interesting, and it's a really large cast. I mean, it's nineteen principals um, plus an ensemble, um, so it, it was a, a tricky thing to cast. But like you say, Brownells are a very talented bunch, and for most of the parts, we actually had options, didn't we? We had yeah, yeah. had multiple people that we could have cast in several roles, so we're very blessed. But it's not very often, though, a show which you've auditioned for starts as a show with auditions. It is, yeah. Well, I mean that. To be honest, that is the whole show. The whole show is about one audition day, a one snapshot in the life of all these professional dancers who come and audition. Um, but the whole show kind of came from memoirs of different people who auditioned on Broadway, and that's that's how it put. That's how the show was originally kind of put together. All these individual stories. And uh, that in itself is that it builds into a, a piece of work which is known and loved by many. But it's one that I have to admit I've not seen yet. So you, if, if I get to come and see you, it'll be my definitive version of a chorus line. Is that is, that's going to be the same for a number of people? That that makes you proud. I'm going to guess. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. It's a very particularly ending. It's not done very often, and yet everyone seems to know it. It's so iconic. So the pressure is on. It is on mm. us. It's on our, particularly on our choreographer as well, to make sure it looks exactly how everyone's expecting it to. And I'll right. let you into a secret. It does. It, it looks does. exactly as you'd expect it to. That's good. That's what we want. And and but shout out some of the songs, because even if you don't know the show, you'll know the songs, won't you? Yeah, you do. So the one that you're just talking about there is one. Uh, other people know it as one singular sensation. Everyone mm -hmm. knows that one. And then the other really famous song is the beautiful What I Did For Love. Um, and like we keep saying, Brownells are particularly blessed with vocalists. And that is an absolute moment in the show when the whole ensemble back uh, our soloist in that. It's phenomenal. And again, Rich, I mean, when you, you, you're working on a show like this, it is all about getting the, the best out of people. And this is how you get to let, show, let people shine on stage. Absolutely, yeah. So what else are we looking out for when it comes to your production? 
just the spectacle of it, I think. I think it's exciting because, as I keep saying, not very many people do it because it is a difficult show. But it, it, it is seeing the best in these amazing performers. We are, we're known for always having the best set and the best costumes. Nothing's changing there. Our musical director has really pushed the boat out to make sure it sounds exactly as it should. So it is going to be an all-round show, this one. Proper spectacle. Well, it is a treat. How do we get hold of tickets? Right, there's two ways for you to get hold of tickets. If you want to do it online, go to the website posytickets.com. And then also you can call our ticket secretary, and that's Roz, the delightful Roz, and she will sort you out. And the number is 07856205561. And she would love to hear from you. So it's 07856205561. Have a natty with Ros. Posytickets.co.uk. P-O-S-I-T-I-C-K-E-T-S. And then just search for a chorus line from Brownhill's Musical Theatre. As you say, it's all taking place at the Prince of Wales Theatre on Church Street in Cannock. And it's on the 17th and 18th of February. And it's a, a nice 7.30 start for everybody, isn't it? It is. Apart from the Saturday, we have squeezed in a matinee as well. So there's two chances to catch it on the 18th. So three outings all told, absolutely yeah. worth it. Come along, see it, enjoy the show. Uh, whoop, holler, give them a round of applause. And at this point thank we say you. break a leg to everybody. Have a great time. Rich and Kel, thank you for joining us. Great, thank thanks Jason, thank you. We all like a good collaboration, and when you've got two amazing people who are the collaborators, you've got a fantastic piece of music ahead of you. Robert Lane and Emily Ewing join me now to tell me about their latest work. Hello, both. Hello. Hi, Jason. Hello, hello. Right, good to have you both along. Uh, so who's going to start off by telling me what you two have been up to? We've done a tune <laughs> together. <laughs> we have. Um, we, yeah, we've actually, and we've given this project a name this time around. So we've, we've decided to uh, create a project called Midnight Ashes. And the first tune from that project is a song called uh, Life is for Living, which is out now on all good streaming platforms and Bandcamp. And this is sort of, uh, it comes from a quite a few years of collaboration between Emily and I, really. We put a P out a few years ago. I remember it well. Seasons Bright. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's sort of <laughs> focused around a, a, our Christmas song, um, Seasons Bright, and a couple of other tunes on it. And we've just um, carried on sort of writing together from time to time when it allows. And we ended up with this song on the for ages because this pandemic thing happened. Uh -huh. And there was a half finished. The last time I sort of saw Emily in person, actually, still, I think, was back in 20, whatever it was, Emily, you'll remember, um, finishing this yeah. song, um, putting the last finishing touches to it. And then since then, through lockdowns and stuff, we've carried on collaborating um remotely which has been a really interesting experience to the point where we're now kind of recording remotely as well and and um that's where we are so this song was done in the studio yeah. in real life but going back a couple i think of we weren't we sure it. what we were really going to do we'd written like a selection of songs uh, some that have just come back to light recently as well that we've kind of discovered from 27 2018 and we weren't quite sure what we wanted to do um got into the studio with Dave Draper, who's produced Life is for Living, as well as the last EP seasons, Brian. And then the pandemic hit. So kind of got on with other projects that you can do during that time. And um, yeah, we just thought we're still, like Rob said, on the shelf. Let's finish it. And here we are. And then we named it Midnight Ashes. And, and away you go. excited about it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think one of the things I like about things though, is, is, is if you've written a song, it does sit on that shelf for a while. But whilst it's on the shelf, it kind of develops and matures, not necessarily on its own. You have to prod it and give it some you know, attention and stuff. But these things tend to you know, take on even more of a life than they would have done if they had been put through when you first put pen to paper on them or whatever it is you kids do these days with iPads. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it is uh, about a song which, which will have evolved on its own, I'm going to guess. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that we also, like I said, some songs have come to light and when you're kind of doing it, you're like, oh, well, there might be better songs still to come because we weren't sure again what we were going to do with it. And then you listen to it and you're like, it's actually a really good song, so... Might as well make something with it, and we have. Because this one is spread over the course of a couple of years, really, as well as this tune, there's a couple of others which literally 
I don't know about you, Emily, but I'd actually forgotten. Yes. Or until I heard, because we're very good, actually, whenever we've got together and we've met up and we've written, we do try and record some sort of demo. <laughs> Not that we're expecting there's going to be a pandemic <laughs> before we see each other again. Even if it's just a matter of weeks, you can lose track of what you did. And we, and we just had a load of these tunes probably about 10, I suppose, where yeah. actually you listen back to the demos and there's a couple of them were like, that's really good. How did we forget that one? But what tends to happen is you get really excited about the latest one <clears throat> and then that occupies all of your mind. And as you say, you might go back to a song three or four writing sessions ago and suddenly go, hang on, that one was great. That. How did we let that one slip away, really? Um, and I think what you said, Jason's right, that like actually when you come back to them, as a writer or whatever, you've changed in the meantime. And actually, there might be something in it you didn't spot the first time around as well. Okay, so what happens next then? Because obviously, this music out there. We're going to give all the details once more to stream it in a second or two. And we're going to take a listen to the lead song. So uh, other than that, can we expect an album without a pandemic? Oh, fingers crossed. I think we're planning to look an EP after this song. Yeah, we've got a, we've got songs in in kind of various areas of completion. I think there's a couple that are more or less ready to go, and then there's a couple that need to be recorded. And I, th I don't know, Emily. We haven't really discussed this, but I think we kind of take it on a track by track basis. Yeah. Um, and and each track is kind of its own thing, really. And then we'll yeah, I think there's going to be a similar to what we did with Seasons Bright before. There'll be a track of uh, an EP of maybe three or four yeah. tunes or whatever. And I think and um, so. Just into I was going to say what Rob said earlier. I think what's different with this one, it's mostly done ninety percent of it remotely. So this mm -hmm. is very new for both of us as a collaboration. Oh, Robert's done obviously his own newest album, not remotely for himself and stuff, but as a collaboration, it's like it's quite different to do it in different places and not be in the same room necessarily mm -hmm. yeah it's, it's sometimes you you look somebody in the eye and you go no or you go yes and now you do be with anyway when you yeah, there's, a, there's a time shift between the uh that's the, each of you seeing the work i suppose that is a bit of an odd one and makes the, the work more interesting however i say it gives it more consideration the same as coming back to something and i think yeah we're, we're going to get the uh, the fruits of that with uh, what we're going to hear so before we take a listen to the track, give us all those details again on where we find it and what to look out for. It's on all good streaming platforms, Bandcamp. And yeah, go and stream and download Life is for Living under the name Midnight Ashes. And there's a Facebook page and an Instagram. Instagram as well, yeah, social media. Because we're um, very modern, you see. Oh, I don't know, you haven't started <laughs> TikTok knows. yet. We Just remind us what the things are on there. No, I, I'm not doing TikTok. I think, Emily, you do TikTok. I do TikTok, yeah. Down with the kids, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried TikTok for a bit. I couldn't. I don't know. It was, it was one beyond me, I think. You just haven't got the moves, but have you? I, no, and, you know, and the short form thing as well, I struggle with a little bit. I want to take my time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah. yeah, but it's all in the... Well, the project name is under Midnight Ashes and the single is called Life is for Living. So look for Midnight Ashes and Life is for Living on all your favourite platforms, whatever it may be. Yes. Follow them on Facebook. Do whatever you want to to them on Twitter. Instagram, probably just look and stare and then yeah, sort of goad them into appearing in uh, a new dance routine to their next single, uh, which will then go viral on TikTok. That would be amazing. Uh, Robert Lane, Emily Ewing, thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Take care.
with the Wolverhampton Literature Festival on the way. There are many amazing local artists who are going to be part of it. Leslie Scase is one of them who joins me now. Hello, sir. Hello. Good day, dear. Well, good day to you too. So, and how uh, are you? I'm, I'm all right. I hope we find you well. Uh, well, I've, unfortunately, I've got a, a very bad throat infection I've been suffering from, but uh, I'm sure I'll uh, I'll manage to be with it. OK, you, you cope with that, and fingers crossed it's all cleared for when you're part of the Literature Festival itself. So tell us what you have going on, because it's all centres around your world yeah. as an author. Yeah, uh, my, it's my third novel that's come out recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I write books set in... Um, uh, perhaps for most people would, would be familiar with the age of Sherlock Holmes and Jack the Ripper. Um, but I suppose my answer to Sherlock Holmes is uh, a Shropshire policeman called Thomas Chard. Um, he's nothing like Sherlock Holmes in many ways because um, he's not perfect. Uh, he's, um, he's, he's an average copper, I suppose, for the age. And he's got some uh, some secrets. And in the first two books, which for various reasons were set in South Wales, we know little about his past. And in this third book, uh, which is called Sabrina's Teardrop, um, he's arrested and taken to Shrewsbury, accused of a double murder. And uh, so this third book, uh, which really is set mainly in Shropshire, uh, a little bit in Staffordshire and, and in central Birmingham. Um, really sort of is him trying to clear his name. So obviously he has the detective scores to be able to do that. And uh, so it, it, it's interesting to tell a tale uh, from a, a time where, okay, we used the uh, Sherlock Holmes trope and uh, you, you're very much getting it all from, you know, using you know, the, the mind rather than having the technology that often helps in the cases these days. But it uh, policing is still policing. And, and what really goes on behind the scenes now is what was happening then. It's just there's a bit more tech to go with it. So it must be great fun writing. Um, it is. I mean, I, I put a lot of effort into the research that goes into these books. They're, they're not just sort of made up, as you say, from the various tropes that we, we normally come across. Um, so I did research um, the 1890s in, in Shrewsbury, for example, in central Birmingham. So the places were real by and large. Um, and uh, yes, it's a lot of fun. You have to be aware, that said, of, of how things were. So police forces were, um, so, for example, in the book, there's much put between the rivalry between the Shrewsbury Borough Police and the Shropshire County Police. Um, you had, I mean, you had the different railway um, companies, the Great Western Railway had its own police force. So you need to know um, what things were like and what the difficulties were that actually come from that. Um, and yes, in terms of um, forensic, it's forensics. Um, yeah, I, I mean, fingerprints, for example, uh, the, the problem mm. with them, they, the, the book was written in 1892 about fingerprints by a guy called Francis Galton, but uh, they couldn't pick up latent prints, for example, mm. and transfer them to acetate. Uh, and in fact, there wasn't a fingerprint bureau set up in Britain until 1901, so which is slightly after my time. So, um, but with forensics, Generally, at the time, you, you, they could still tell the, you know, if they found a skeleton, the height, the sex, um, you know, the age, uh, and things like that. So there's a variety of things. Um, I think in this story, there's not too much forensic from that point of view. Uh, but <clears throat> in fact, I would also say that whereas my first two books were very much whodunits, this one is more of a, I would call it a, a crime thriller because it is very fast moving. And it's a case of who didn't do it, and then maybe getting out to uh, to work out what really should have gone on there. And so you you make the point about the different police forces because it's a quite possible rather than having the police complaints commission investigating an officer, another police force could arrest another an officer who wasn't part of their force. It 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 it, it, it makes more sense your premise for the story there, and it must be a, a, an intriguing world to be able to explore and educate people a bit as they read. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I put it. it... They're not history books. My books aren't specifically history books. They, they are there for pure entertainment. But I do, at the back of every book, I put author's notes in and sort of to give a little bit, uh, you know, of history of, about it, just to explain that some of the things, for example, because in um, uh, in some of my books, certainly the second book, for example, uh, I need to explain that, uh, yeah, the two the, there's two rival railway companies. Um, 
And, you know, some people might think, oh, he made that up. Well, no, I didn't. These, these two massive in, um, investment companies, effectively, uh, were in a deadly rivalry with each other. But it wouldn't be something that the average person would know about. So, uh, you know, I put things in like that. Um, I, I've also um, included, just out of interest, I'll mention it, uh, as we will be in Wolverhampton, um, is that I do cover uh, a real football match involving Wolverhampton Wanderers. So um, I'll, I'll mention that. Uh, which I, I, it's just, it only covers a chapter, but it actually is part of the story and part of the plot um, in a funny way. So, uh, so there we go. So you're reading the pink pages from yesteryear to get your background on that one and uh, really exploring a, a whole oh, yeah. world of, of a sport alongside the Inspector Chard story. And uh, what happens next with uh, Mr. Chard? Uh, it, it, can we maybe see a fourth novel or is he incarcerated for some time? Actually, that's spoilers. We won't give away spoilers, but can we expect more? Yes, you can. There will be uh, at least another three, maybe four. Um and what I will say is um, you will see him returning for various reasons. You'll, you'll see him returning back down to South Wales uh, in, in the next book, mainly, but not entirely. Uh, in fact, the next book um, will actually start in Boulogne, which might Ooh. seem a bit odd as a place to start. But, oh. uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, the premise and the inspiration uh, for that story is is based in in a, a, a real historical occurrence. So um, yeah, that should be quite interesting. And again, all this uh, is uh, published work. It is out there and various different platforms to get it on. So before we talk about your literature festival appearance, uh, tell us a bit about how we can find the books. Uh, well, you can find them um, anywhere at your local independent bookstore, bookshop. Sorry, uh, you'll find them in Waterstones. Uh, online, Amazon, or anywhere else, really, Foils. Um, I'm not sure about WH Smith, but uh, certainly, you know, most places, it's not difficult to find. Uh, they're in ebook as well. And as I mentioned, you're part of the uh, Walls Literature Festival. So, what are the details for your part of that show? Uh, well, I'm going to be in the Wolfram Centre um, at uh, two o'clock um, on the Saturday. Uh, so um, I haven't, although I did, I, I do know Wolverhampton and I did actually work there for many years. Um, I, I haven't been there probably for about four years now. So um, I don't know if I'm going to see any great changes. There's a, a few things which are a little different, uh, but it's still the welcoming city as ever. And I'm very much looking forward to the festival itself. WallsLiteratureFestival.co.uk to find out full details. The whole event that runs from the 3rd through to the 5th of February. But, uh, Leslie, great to have you as part of it. Leslie's case is what you're looking for, S-C-A-S-E, if you want to check out the books in advance. And then maybe even get the opportunity to ask a few questions about Inspector Chard and what he gets up to when you do come and uh, see Leslie's talk. And, and, what, and what can they expect? from you on that uh, afternoon uh well i've to be honest i haven't been given a brief as to <laughs> as to what uh, what's required of me but um <laughs> but uh, by and large i'm quite happy to answer questions on anything from uh, crime writing generally to um anything in that period the late victorian period uh you can sort of um you know i ask you pretty much uh, anything because I I think I'm I'm so absorbed in that decade uh, that in fact I do give um, historical talks on crime and punishment in the uh, in the late Victorian age, mm -hmm. uh, which I've I've given many talks on that topic. Mm -hmm. um, so pretty much ask me anything you like. And having visited Shrewsbury Prison, uh, which is uh, now a, a tourist attraction, <laughs> obviously uh, I'm going to guess you've snuck along there as well for the potential of, uh, of seeing what it was like during the time uh, of the book. I, I did. Um, in fact, th this is one of the things I do like to do when I'm, I'm writing, is that I, I like to go to the specific places because you get to feel the atmosphere um, of the place. Uh, and certainly uh, the, the prison was a, actually quite a very good example because you get to feel... Um, how claustrophobic it is actually, uh, because it's very high but very narrow. The main the main cell block, um, and uh, I mean, and Attingham Park as well, which features in the, the beginning of the book, where there's a, a a robbery, 
and I had to, um, I spent a nice afternoon going around it because I case in the joint effectively. So I thought, right, okay, if I was going to do this, how would I do it? You know, what's the practicalities of staging, uh, a, you know, a theft? Um, and uh, yeah, and that was really, really, it was a challenge, but it was really, really interesting. I quite enjoyed doing that, but I will try and visit all these places absolutely and and obviously indulge in a cream tea whilst you're at national trust property as well which is always quite good fun i like that sort of thing uh let's just have a great time uh writing your next novel we look forward to that being available so there's three out there even as we speak and of course your appearance at the wolverhampton literature festival on saturday the 4th as part of the three day third through to the 5th of february run thanks again for joining us and uh, keep up the good work thank you With the Wolverhampton Literature Festival almost upon us, range from the 3rd through to the 5th of February, there's loads as part of the whole schedule, including an amazing steampunk author who's going to be doing his thing on the Saturday. John Hartless joins me now to tell me more about what we can expect. Hello, sir. Hello, thank you for having me on. Well, good to talk to you. First of all, tell me a little bit about you and the genre that is being a steampunk author. I'm aware of steampunk, and mm-hmm. I love the look, sort of technology mixed with Victorian times, uh, and 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 we're talking technology of, of of kind of yesteryear in a magical kind of way, aren't we? Mm-hmm. We are. I always say it's a bit like uh, 19th century aesthetics, but married to advanced technology, uh, sort of science fiction concepts. So imagine a well-dressed lord and lady, perhaps with a top hat, frock coat, large crinoline dress, that sort of thing, but also armed with rather advanced futuristic lasers. And that gives you some idea of what steampunk is, or at least what steampunk can be. Yeah, it, 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 steampunk is what steampunk is to those doing it at the time, and that could be anything. I mean, it could actually involve steam and a bit of punk, uh, as long as it, you know, it's, it's that look, isn't it? It's, 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 it's bringing together something which is kind of magical, I think. And uh, mm-hmm. to, uh, how, how do you write in that genre? I mean, is, is it uh, novelizations of tales of a time, uh, whether that be now in that fashion or, or otherwise, or how does it work? Well, with the last series I did, it was actually inspired by the 1920s, the motor racing scene of that era, Mm -hmm. uh, as epitomised by the Bentley boys, who were very wealthy um, young aristocrats and lounge lizards who found they could uh, get lots of thrills on the racetrack, because obviously motorsport was in its early days then. Uh Um, And they were considered rather like the football players are today in terms of uh, media interest and so on. And there was definitely a rather strong idea that they would party all night and race all day <laughs> now, given that i like steampunk i thought let's put these two things together so i ended up with a victorian aesthetic mm-hmm. but with motor cars running off steam uh, and i put in a young heroine who's from uh, a working class background and therefore she's got everything to fight for can she get on, on the track can she afford to compete how is she going to survive out there she's very much the way things are now uh with those at the top getting all the opportunities just translocated to this fictional sort of 19th century setting. And I, I mean, I, I like the whole concept of this. And of course, uh, before the internal combustion engine, they did come up with steam-powered mm-hmm. car-like vehicles. They did, and, yes. And, but they, they were never noted for their speed at the time. So your fictionalisation of this is making mm-hmm. it quite exciting. It is, yes. I've obviously uh, given a little bit of pep and ginger to the uh, real-life cars to make them a little bit faster than they were. Um, but they did actually have some good steam engines around then. Mm-hmm. Apparently what killed them off is the fact that they can't sort of warm up very quickly. It takes you half an hour to get one started in the morning. <laughs> but of course, when petrol came along, it takes you just a few minutes for those old cars. And yeah, and, and even now it, it can take a little while when you're trying to de-ice your vehicle in the weather that we've been having lately. So uh, the, the, yeah. the, you wouldn't have to worry about a, a frosty windscreen when you've got a great big steam engine powering your vehicle. Yeah, you certainly wouldn't, no. But even then with petrol cars, apparently some people had to set fire to the underside, uh, make a little bonfire underneath the engine to unfreeze it in the cold weather before they could actually take the things out. So how things have moved on. Yes, we're a lot further down the line than that. But equally, Steampunk can enjoy this level of fantasy. And uh, have you got uh, anything new which is due to be released in the near future? Uh, I'm supposed to be working on another book in the main series. That sort Mm. of stored a little bit, though, because I've actually gone back to university. I'm doing a course there, and, of course, that's taken a lot of my energies up. Yeah. Um, I do have uh, a sort of novella coming out with Tenebrous Tech soon, though. It's not Steampunk, though. It's more um, a satire on Ripperology. Mm Mm-hmm. But details of that yet to be confirmed, unfortunately. 
Okay, well, we'll see what you can talk about. And we'll see what you actually bring to life at uh, the event. Because I suppose this is going to give you a chance at the Literary Festival uh, to to sort of share your words with a reading. Is that something that you enjoy doing as an author? Uh, it's 50% enjoy it and 50% blind terror, basically, <laughs> how you do a reading. So it's uh, neither one thing nor the other. I do enjoy sort of meeting people. I enjoy doing the reading, but at the same time, I'm conscious that I do have a strong black country accent. And I'm thinking, am I boring people into submission here? Absolutely not. So, and see, so yeah. Wolverhampton, we love you for that. So that's all okay. Yeah, but, yeah. but I mean, with Steampunk, often you find people have a, a character or a number of characters that they'd like to share when they attend Steampunk events. Is that something mm -hmm. that you do as well? No, I don't do the cosplay side of it. I've always just been interested more in the literary side, though I am uh, a member of a local Steampunk group. And we do go out to places like uh, museums, historical houses, that sort of thing, as well as having a pub meet every month. So that's quite good fun. But for me, it's never more about the cosplay. It's more about the books. It's, it's a storytelling that you like that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. And I, I suppose, are you inspired by some of the cosplay group that you do know when it comes to some of the characters you share? No, they all the characters seem to come from either my own ideas or from the research into genuine historical uh, eras, as I've just mentioned, with, for example, the Bentley Boys era of the 1920s. So it all just grows out of those two things, the research and what I see going on around me. And I suppose it gives a good opportunity to develop, and it's it's almost as if it's an alternate timeline where you know petrol and uh, and, and oil combustibles weren't discovered, and steam carried on being our main source of uh, transport. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it could even be yeah. that from your nineteen twenties beginnings, you could bring it up to to date in today's times too. I could do, though my main character is very much set in that era. She mm -hmm. uh, doesn't get past it. So therefore, if I did set up something today, it would have to be a completely different set of characters, probably in a different world as well. But we'll see what happens as you uh, continue to write more. Now, obviously, we can find your work online and people can pick up copies mm -hmm. of, of these books and the series so far. Mm -hmm. They can, yes. If you go to Amazon, you'll find it. The first one is called Full Throttle, and it's all part of the Poppy Orpington Chronicles. Uh, as well as Amazon, they are scattered around some of the books in the area, uh, some of the libraries in the area, rather. They're not necessarily all of them. So it is an opportunity to, to, to borrow, to read, to enjoy, yeah. uh, and also take yourself to a, a different time and a, and a different reality in a way which isn't normally how science fiction does it, because it, it is still kind of a subset of science fiction, isn't it? It is, yes. I always say it's more of a subgenre than a genre on its own right. Unfortunately, it's never really seemed to have taken off to become its own thing. It's very niche still, especially in this country. I think there's a larger audience in America. Then, of course, there's a lot more people in America, which might explain that one. Mm -hmm. And it's a bit, something, something to be enjoyed and shared. And I, I like the fact that it is something which a number of different people from different backgrounds can identify with. Now, because I mean, the engineering community loves this sort of thing, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. They do, yes. You do get a lot of uh, sort of men and women in sheds, you know, tinkering, doing their own things in the steampunk community. And they do come up with some very inventive things, um, sort of uh, mock-ups of guns, for example, or mock-ups of uh, 19th century versions of the Ghostbusters. That's a common one that you see around. Mm -hmm. So there's an awful lot of invention going on, which I'm very envious about because I can't even hammer a nail into wood without it splitting. <laughs> whole I... level of invention and creativity there is denied to me. Yeah, well, I also feel that I mean, there's obviously steampunk influences in Doctor Who in recent years as well, I feel. And certainly within Torchwood and some of the tales they told us of times gone by there, mm -hmm. yeah, that, that, that gave a, a bit of a steampunk feel to a, a mainstream science fiction genre. It did, and of course, it went very steampunk with that Paul McGann film, the one that they coded with the Americans with the steampunk TARDIS. Mm -hmm. So it's a great shame that never sort of went on any further, at least that design anyway, because uh, that really was a beautiful looking console. And yeah, and it's amazing what you can do with a bit of steam uh, by throwing some punk at it. I like that idea completely. Yeah, definitely, give us, yes. Give us the details again of where we find you online, first of all. Uh, probably the best place to look is Amazon, uh, if that's where you want the books. You can also find uh, Poppy Orpington author, I think, on Twitter, if you want to look there, though. She might be listed as Orpington Poppy. And you can also find my Facebook page, John Hartless author, if you want to have a look at that. No. I have been a bit remiss about updating both of those pages recently, <laughs> so I really need to start doing that more. But self-promotion is not my thing, unfortunately. Right, well, you've got to do that before the Literature Festival. Wallsliteraturefestival.co.uk. Details on how all the events are ticketed. There's loads of free stuff. There's some you pay for, uh, but you can get everything online there. And you're looking for John Hartless on the 4th of the uh, the month of February uh, mm -hmm. uh, event. And uh, it's, a, it's a Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock, and check out the details find out all the venue details online and get yourself along and enjoy a bit of magical steampunk and uh, the uh, a chance, I suppose, to, to, to buy books whilst you're there as well. 
I assume so, yes. I've got to find out that how big a table we can have, or if we can have tables at all. If not, I'll have to bring a suitcase along and lug it in here, like one of those dodgy market traders. But but make it a bit steampunk as well. Get get some of your mates to nail something to the side and make it look the part for <laughs> me, yeah? If they give me something to nail, I will. That's the way. John Hartless, thank you for joining us. No, thank you very much. of UK adults will be taking steps to improve their health this year. 78% have health concerns for 2023, with weight being the biggest of them at 24%. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Olympic athlete Roger Black, MBE, and Dr Samantha Wilde, clinical lead for Women's Health and GP at Booper Health Clinics. Good afternoon to you both. Good afternoon. Hello. When it comes down to our health and keeping in shape, uh, sometimes we see that when an athlete comes to the end of the career, Roger, it's not always that easy. You are one of those (laughs) who's kept themselves in tip-top condition. Yeah, well, there's, there's there's quite a degree of luck there genetic luck I think or quite a fast metabolism but I stayed active I, I mean I, I'm nothing like what I used to do when I was an athlete but I, I suppose you know, I wasn't trying to train every day to win medals I, I, I probably very quickly went from about 100% of, of training and exercise probably down to about 30-40% and now my mid-50s I'm sort of 10-15% but of course I have different goals different reasons to exercise and it's all about keeping moving uh, keeping the body going as we get older um, and yeah, it's, it's 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 working out what's right for you at whatever stage in your life. But uh, actually, I'm far more aware of what I eat now. When I was an athlete, I could eat anything. <laughs> but now, yeah, I, I suppose I, I I'm more aware of what I eat, and I and I definitely keep moving. That's for sure. And uh, Samantha, that's obviously a, a big part of it, isn't it? It's keeping moving, whether it's walking or something a little more energetic. But just keeping going is, is an important part. Uh, but how are people starting to approach the health issue, and, and what sort of advice would you give? Um, so, as you said, you know, we do know that it is a, a huge priority for, for many people this year. Um, so we're seeing a lot of people coming to see us in clinics to talk about the ways that we can assist them to do that. So, um, as we've just said, exercise is very, very important. Aiming for that half an hour, five days a week. So if you break it down into small chunks, it, it doesn't seem such a huge hurdle. Um, just keep moving, as Roger said but also trying some other things. Um, You know, there's so much choice out there now. I think we're luckier than we ever used to be. Um, So try some of those hit classes that you may have been thinking about, cycling, swimming. Um, And there's lots of things that you can do online now as well for free. So it it doesn't involve paying out for expensive gym memberships, which, you know, I think we're very lucky now that we have got that choice. Mm -hmm. Um, Diet as well, obviously hugely important. and, And really, you know, we do encourage everyone to follow a healthy, balanced diet. Really think about that fuel that you're putting in the engine as it was. You know, we don't expect a car to run perfectly if we're not putting the right petrol in. It's the same with our bodies too. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say gym memberships can be right for some people. Other feel, people feel less comfortable with them. Uh, and I, I know that, uh, you know, there, there, there are, are, are options which, uh, which which Booper run uh, as well as uh, a way of keeping fit and there are gyms that are available there. But, I mean, Roger, again, uh, I, I know from your health uh, past, you don't have to uh, you know, be put off by having uh, maybe a hereditary disease that, uh, that no. can, that uh, you know, to, to, from going on to massive success with bronze and silvers and, and all the medals that, so you yeah. won across your career. Yeah. So at the age of 11, I was uh, at school medical. It, it was found that I had a leaking heart valve. I was born with a, a, an incompetent aortic valve. Uh, I won't go into the details of what that means, but basically I, I had chronic heart disease, which sounds strange because of what I did. I was unable to do any competitive sport for the first few months of, of school. I, I've, I've been monitored every year of my life since I was 11. So that's nearly 46 years, seeing a specialist every year. So my heart is, you know, there'll be no surprises with me and I'm absolutely fine. Um, I think that's important. I mean, you know, I, think, I think one of the things people should do if they're, if they're embarking on an exercise routine for the first time is, is just get a general medical health check. You know, the group of health clinics do that. Um, and, and, then, and, and then, you know, work out what's right for you. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's a weird thing. I, I sort of put it out of my mind when I was an athlete, but I saw a consultant every, every, once every year and <laughs> never knew what they were going to say. But uh, so far, so good. And yeah, it, it, but it's, it's often if you don't know about a condition, that's when you have a problem. And uh, Samantha, it's obviously discovering a condition can exactly. be quite difficult to do. Exactly. So this is why we encourage people to come for a health check. Um, you know, really important to prioritise your health this year. Um, get that MOT, make sure that everything is working properly and set your goals for the year ahead.
And this is something more than you would get from a general maybe blood test at your GP for the over 50s. You're looking at a, a health check which is not so much invasive but also but it will take into account family history, there'll be a questionnaire to work out what areas you should be looking for and allow you to have a one-on-one -on -one consultation in a time where you can actually get to the bottom of some concerns you may have. Exactly and mental health is so important too so that is something that we'll also assess in detail um, and see if there's any ways that we can help with that also. Yeah and uh, again that's, uh, that's a big part of it and again Roger I mean the, 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 the come down after a glittering career like yours in athletics that can have its, yeah. its bump on the mental health as well and it's important to keep that sort of thing in check and I'm, I'm sure that's something that you know the well, team, team GB will have done when uh, as you were coming to the end of your career. Well back in my days you didn't really get much help and assistance I think it's a bit better now but you're absolutely right. right. The biggest problem athletes have you've spent you know, most of your life focusing on one all-consuming goal. In my case you retire at 32. I'm one of the lucky ones. I retired you know I had I'd done very well towards the end of my success, uh, career winning my Olympic silver medal. But that focus is gone, that purpose is gone. Um, and you have to try and replace that. And that can be a real struggle. Really? So a lot of athletes suffer from mental health. It's like people coming out of the armed forces. When you stop something you've, you've, you've been so passionate about and you've had a routine, and then suddenly, what do I do now? Um, but, but it's about relearning, regrouping. And I, I think that's similar to people who maybe haven't done exercise before. You know, you have to, to take your time, uh, do some research, my biggest tip for anybody is is find somebody to, to to share your journey with. You know, find in my case, you're Chris Akabusi as an athlete, but but in business, I work with other other people. Um, but if, when it comes to exercise, you know, share it with other people. Exercise with other people. Share your dreams and your goals with other people because you're far more likely to do it with other people with you than if you try and do it on your own. But you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's very different once you retire. Samantha, how do we start this healthcare journey as something that is our own personal plan to making sure that we've got the best well-being we can? Um, so if you can, um, have a look on bupa.co.uk and, and book in for a health assessment. Um, if you've been called for NHS screening, then attend for that. Um, and then start to think about exactly what it is that you want to do. So it you know, makes some small changes to your diet and your exercise regimes. Um, start, start small. Um, you know, we're not saying give up everything all in one go. Some people find that giving up, say, meat for a start in January can help. Um, but start with a few um, meat-free days and, and then go bigger if you wanted to. Um, same as if you give up alcohol. We don't just want this to be um, something that you do for January. So if you maybe just cut it down, it might be something that you can then sustain for longer. Um, they say it takes on average 66 days to, to make a new habit. So this is something that, you know, isn't just for January. It needs to be a, a longer time period. Um, but start small. Um, make those small changes and then you will reap the benefits as the year goes on. Uh, Dr Samantha Wild, Clinical Lead for Women's Health and GP at Booper Health Clinics and Roger Black, MBE Olympic Athlete. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Hello Pets are doing brilliant work in our community, helping many see pets, animals and enjoy the likes of their community aquarium in their community interest company. Mike Dixon is here with me now to tell me all about what's going on. Happy New Year. And you, mate, how are you? I'm good. I trust we find you well and uh, loving life down there at Huggle Pets. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, not too bad at all. So what is going on? Because 2023 is going to be another big year and a further outreach to look after the people of our city. Yeah, so um, as ever, we're really, really busy. Um, and the community-wise, over the last couple of years, it literally had thousands of people come through our projects, which has been brilliant. Um, so again, as you always know, it never stops. It so we decided to... Um, open a bit more um, and we're pushing towards some more educational stuff for young people so we're opening a pond and wildlife center um, and what we're going to do there it's really heavily featured around outdoors and outdoor fish um, but while we do that we're going to teach people about sustainability recycling um, we've also got a little project that we did last year and we piloted and it was brilliant where people were um, and children were growing things and we were using the waste products we had from the waste water and the waste from the animals in store as fertilizer for the fruit and the vegetables and things that were growing um, and what we've done there is then they've come back after they've done that decorated the pots and they've took those bits of things home to their families and let the stuff they've grown which they really enjoyed so we're opening in February we're opening the uh, Huggle Pets Pond and Wildlife Centre and it's been supported actually by Seven Trent uh, the first project they've ever got involved with which involves animals so we're really proud of that as well um, and we're really looking forward to getting in there and getting started. Well, it sounds absolutely amazing. And uh, I'm hoping to be able to join you on the uh, the launch day down there. We've got to see what we can do to put that one together. But uh, it's uh, a great sort of 
community feel to, to what you do and all this born out of the family-run business? Yeah, that's right. So originally we started off as a pet store. And as you know, years ago, we, we did some open days and the community project was really born out of that. Uh, and now it's a massive part of, of everything we do. Um, and we're well, all... you are still a pet store as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you need anything for your pets, you know where to find us, come down. And the pet store really is the, is the thing that backs all this, uh, all our community work. And it really does support it because without the pet store, um, obviously the community project would, would struggle to exist on its own. The pet so store pays um... keeping the roof over the head. The community project keeps everybody in uh, really good spirits. Right. That's right, yeah. So if the pet store didn't exist, neither would the project, basically. Um, so it, it has to be successful. So, yeah, if, if anyone needs anything pet-related in Wolverhampton, feel free to pop down, speak to our staff, um, and they'll always be on hand to help you and give you some great advice. And that's another part of it, though, because I mean, the staff are knowledgeable. And this in itself comes from the work that they do and the community side of things, too. So it, it's, sort of, it's a cycle that's sort of self-expanding, yeah, really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So that the, the great knowledge that we have for the people that know all about animal welfare and the therapists that we have that are trained using the animals in the therapy classes we do, everything works hand in hand together. It is a very unique thing. It's why that when we launched the uh, sensory aquarium and the uh, community room, it was the first in the country and I believe still is in its type. And now adding the new Pond and Wildlife Centre again just adds that uniqueness but helps us obviously do as much as we can for our local community in Wolverhampton and the the fact that uh, you know it, it's it's family run I think that gives you the ethos of what's going on here uh, you, you care about your your staff your employees and the community all in the same way absolutely yeah because it's a family run business and and we try and keep everything like that um and that ethos going through everything and being a Wolverhampton boy myself um, obviously it resonates with me to help our city and help our areas and the black country all around. And of course, uh, when people are buying either pets or supplies from you, uh, they again know the quality is there because you, you're caring about the animals that you're looking after. Yeah, absolutely. We we hand select all of our products. So we only pick products that we'd be confident in and proud of. So um, that can be re rest assured that the, the things that we have in our store are uh, all sort of vetted and verified and they're uh, good good products for their animals so what uh is, is the next move if people do want to get involved obviously you've got the opening day during half term week uh for in february but uh, i take it schools and and groups can sort of get in touch to to find out how you can work with them and they can come and see the facility and use it Absolutely. So as soon as we'll probably post a big Facebook event about the opening day for the half 10th of February. And then obviously, if anyone is interested in about what we do and how we do it, they can check out Huggle Pets in the community.co.uk. And that will tell them everything to do with our community work. Um, and then if they're just curious to have a look around, obviously, they can see all the sensory aquarium that you already have. And then from the end of February, they'll be able to get into the Pond and Wildlife Centre. And they can speak to any of our staff on site and get a leaflet and a brochure about the uh, community projects and different things but everything as you know Jason is open for everyone to come and look around for free they don't have to take part in a class if they just want to come and see what it's about they're more than happy to do that and just come and have a nose around well I have to admit often I will use a pet shop to go and look at and just look at the animals because I'm not in a position to, to, to house one unfortunately but it is it's great to see and aquariums are always worth a look uh, so uh, it, it, it is nice just to be able to do that and again there is no pressure although you don't want everyone turning up just to look at the, uh, the, the, the cute furry things in the pet shop side of things you don't mind if they do do you but uh, no. it, it's, it's all part of it. That's it. That's right. But yeah, yeah, everyone can come and have a nose and have a look. And then um, if, like you say, people like yourself, they can't always have pets, but they're more than welcome. That's what the sensory aquarium is made for. And the pond room would be very similar. If you just want to come down and have a look, you're more than welcome. Yeah, it's at Cooper Street in Wolverhampton, WV22JL. That's uh, the easy way of finding you. Great parking, but equally on bus routes as well. Yeah, bus routes and metro. Of the course, down the, down the road, just the outside, isn't it? That's it, yeah, the Priestfield stops. It's only a couple of minutes' walk from us. So it's, it's easy to come along and see. Uh, so the the important thing is you, you've mentioned the Huggle Pets in the community.co.uk website. How do we also buy from you? Because you can, you can buy online as well, can't you? Absolutely, yeah. So if you're not able to visit and you're just looking for pet products that you want delivered, hugglepets.co.uk. And that is everything that we have for all pets, from aquatics, reptiles, dogs, cats, small animals. But the, the lot. The lot. <laughs> <laughs> I want that to four nine four eight six zero would be the phone number. And uh, but yeah, it, it's 
uh, straight part of the community. One supports the other and you support all of us when it comes down to the brilliant work that you do. And you've talked about the therapy sessions down there and this can make a huge difference. I, I know that you've worked with the uh, you know, schools who have autism uh, as part of one of their you know, ways of looking after their kids and, and working with them. And so much more besides, there's been all sorts of groups, as you mentioned, who've used this. And it's just a facility which, say, it wouldn't be possible without the pet shop, as we said, but equally, it wouldn't be possible without the passion that the whole team down there have for, for what you do. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It's all a big team effort. Uh, we all muck in, we all help each other. Um, and it, that's, that's why it works. Uh, without one of those facets, it, it just wouldn't work. Um, so we're really proud of it. And then you can obviously find us on socials as well, at Huggle Pets across everything for the, the pet store and at Huggle Pets in the community for all the uh, CIC and community work worth checking out i've done that i follow and it is great to see so much good stuff mike thanks for joining us thanks for the good work you're doing and i look forward to seeing you in february for the opening of the new center brilliant look forward to it thank you that's all for this week thank you so much for joining me back with episode 710 next week i'll see you then to wrap it out goodbye from the milk bar goodbye from the milk bar Goodbye from the milk bar. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah.